0: and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. My guest this time is food and health writer Sam Rice. She writes regularly for The Telegraph and Top Santé, and has authored or co-authored two books now. The first are called Midlife Kitchen Cookbook and her second book, The Midlife Method, looking at weight loss specifically for midlife. So Sam, welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Great. It's nice to have you on. Before we kind of delve into the cookbooks themselves and some of the sort of thoughts about our needs and midlife and how those are different to earlier life stages, how did you sort of end up in this particular area of work? Because it's not something that you've always been doing. No,
1: it's not at all, actually. Um, I think I I was working out just now before I came on because I knew I was going to be asked this question. Never quite know. It's actually nine years I've been um, focusing on midlife nutrition, but my background actually is not in nutrition at all. In fact, you could say it's the opposite because before <laughs> switching <laughs> to food writing, I was a wine buyer and, well, aspiring wine writer and wine buyer. So you could say that's slightly at odds with a healthy lifestyle. a 180. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, sort of. Yeah, but I do, actually, I did write um, for Top Sante quite a lot about how you can incorporate alcohol within a healthy lifestyle because I think, you know, it's, it's not very good to be too puritanical about these things. And sort of saying to people, you shouldn't drink anything is probably quite unrealistic. So I did quite a few, quite a, a few, um, I had a column actually for on that looked at, it was
0: called the, the healthy drinker. So
1: I don't think the oh, two are necessarily
0: <laughs> there's quite a, quite a push around sobriety at the moment. There's a lot of yeah. books coming out and yeah. sort of different people who are, you know, really advocating for that sort of, I guess, all or nothing approach. Yeah. They're advocating for the all. But I yeah, I think with a lot of people cutting that out completely would feels really, really unachievable. So Yes.
1: And I think, you know, from my particular my personal perspective, you know, unless you have some sort of issues around alcohol, I don't really think it's necessary either. I think The problem is that it's quite easy to slip into a sort of mild dependency on alcohol. And I think that's really what you need to guard against. Um, You know, there's nothing Mm. intrinsically unhealthy about drinking, but it's just that if you're using it, if you're obviously if you're drinking more than the recommended guidelines or you're using it in a more of a cycle as a psychological um, salve really which I think is an easy thing to slip into. or a reward, that, or a
0: reward. <laughs> or a that's uh, getting through become, the day
1: <laughs> that's right it so can it's... become problematic so um, yeah obviously I sort of I'm quite interested in that area um, and with a background in wine I do really love wine so I don't want to give it up so that's not really an option for me so interesting isn't it how you know you can sort of bring all these things together I don't really think you need to have a sort of all or nothing mindset and I, I don't think many people do have that mindset and you might almost say an all or nothing approach is slightly disordered um because unless you know to really cut thing it cut something out completely is quite an extreme measure
0: mm. and, and then do we set ourselves up to fail yeah, and then and, berate and, ourselves for that you know,
1: barring very serious situations where you know you might need to cut something out of your diet for medical reasons, or, you know, there, there can be other psychological reasons for having eating. When I say eat, I'm going to move more onto the food now, mm-hmm. eating restrictions. Um, I think for the, for the general population, if you are getting into rigorous kind of cutting out food groups and things like that, for me, that might be an early warning sign that maybe you haven't got that great relationship with food. So that's something that I talk about quite a lot in all of my books, that really what we're trying to move more towards is a positive relationship with food where you're not sort of scared to eat certain things or feel guilty for eating certain things or, uh, you know, that your emotions are very um, bound up in what you're eating. So mm. that's, a, that's a big area of focus in nutrition at the moment. And um, it's something that I feel quite strongly about that we should be having a more inclusive Um, welcoming view of what we eat and you can achieve that I think the key to achieving that positive relationship with food is is understanding what you're eating really and knowing that there isn't anything that uh, you're going to eat necessarily that is going to be bad for you but you just have to look at the different proportions of the things that you're eating so it's really an educational thing so you get to a point where you think actually I'm eating well 80% of the time and 20% of the time I'm eating the things I love just because I love them and and really make peace with that kind of approach to eating. So that's sort of my philosophy, my sort of food philosophy, to give it a grand term. (laughs) Um, Inclusivity, not restriction. And um, I think that kind of fits in more with a midlife mentality as well. I think, you know, we, we kind of get to a stage of life where we want to be a bit more embracing of things. <laughs> and we and, <laughs> and we do want to have a sort of more gentler, kinder approach to ourselves. And actually, so, so to wind back a bit, you actually asked me how I got into the nutrition game. So to wind way back and when I left university I was a management consultant Um, but that didn't last very long that lasted about two three years I think and then I quickly decided that the corporate life wasn't for me and then my other big passion in life is skiing so I thought okay that sounds like fun so my husband and I set up a skiing business so I did that for about just trying to think 14 years I think I did that and then when my youngest daughter was um, born I decided I wanted to do something different and go back to college and that's where the wine came in because I was living in Brighton at the time and there's a very good uh, well the UK's wine school Plumpton College is just outside Brighton so I thought that that sounds like fun so I signed up to do my WSET diploma um, which took me three years and once I got that I decided right wine's my thing I want to do wine buying I want to do wine writing and and that's what I was focusing on and um, but unfortunately or fortunately you can look at it that way i suppose we decided that we needed a life change and we wanted to take a year out with our kids who were five and 11 at the time and do a bit of have a bit of a family adventure so we decided to go to bali of all places for a year Um, initially it was supposed to be for a year and we stayed we stayed for five years and that's all great but um it's not bali is not a great place for wine there is no wine scene right. in Bali <laughs> <So> <laughs> um, to
0: it again
1: <laughs> yeah so it's like mm, okay well I've just spent three four years doing the wine thing and now there's literally nothing I can do with it in Bali I did do a little bit of wine writing actually but it wasn't really there wasn't really enough going on so but the, the one thing that Bali does have that's incredible is uh, the health food scene so sort of getting to Bali and thinking oh, new chapter and I'm going to get healthy and I was 42 at the time and the kids were, you know, still still quite demanding, and I'd not really had that much time to sort of focus on my own um, health. But suddenly I did, and I thought, okay, this is this is what I'm going to focus on, mainly as a consumer of, of food, because mm-hmm. I wanted to eat the lovely healthy food. I wasn't really thinking about cookbooks or nutrition at that stage. I was just enjoying all the very kind of inspirational health food that was on offer in Bali, a real sort of fusion of, sort of Balinese. Um, traditional cooking and aesthetics because they're very they're a very aesthetic people and they make everything look beautiful and then there was a lot of Australian influence in Barleaf. so they've got a great healthy scene in Australia so that was all coming across as well so there are all these places popping up and um, then what happened was my friend Mimi Spencer who I wrote my first book Midlife Kitchen with and um, she came over for a holiday just sort of a girl's trip and we did a lot of traveling around Bali, sampling all these lovely, I mean we did everything from sort of raw vegan food to everything, everything was going on and we tried it all and at the end of that holiday we just felt very inspired and thought initially we might set up a blog based on this kind of healthy food because it was really appealing to our midlife palates and we sort Mm -hmm. of felt that maybe our taste had slightly changed as we as, as we got older we were craving and enjoying different foods to perhaps what we'd eaten in our 20s and 30s moving away from sort of really heavy carb-based meals into like fresher flavors and textures and you know just sort of enjoying far more I mean people find it incredible but you know to actually say I much prefer an interesting salad than a slice of pizza you know but I think that's the transition that that kind of happened and um mimi had already written a couple of books before most famously the the fast diet with michael mosley and she'd already written a couple of cookbooks so we thought well okay we can do something with this food stuff and we within the space of about two three weeks we put together the concept for well the blog slash book whatever it was going to be the midlife kitchen Hmm. and um it was i think it was really right at the beginning of the rebranding of midlife. So the term middle age was being phased out and midlife was coming in and we could feel like there was some momentum building around that. So we actually then took the ideas to some publishers and I think they could see that also, that actually this midlife idea was going to explode. And and I think we can all say it has in the last few years. Um, I think, you know, there's so much more midlife mainly women but midlife men as well you know it's really come into the conversation about how you can embrace this time of your life and there's far more um podcasts like this Mm -hmm. there's far more books on the shelves and there's doctors like louise Newsom coming out and talking about the menopause and bringing that into the
0: conversation so much much more focus on on sort of making those our kind of best years and setting ourselves up for a kind of a healthy older chapter whereas yeah than, than there was sort of I think for previous generations and kind of really owning that and, and yeah. focusing on focusing on ourselves. Yeah, it was a bit of a
1: dirty word before and interesting when when we first took the book to one of the publishers we went to, they wanted us t- to not call it the midlife kitchen, to call it something like the anti-aging cookbook or kitchen or something <laughs> like that. And we said, but that's kind of missing the point because we're talking we're not talking about anti-aging, we're talking about being pro-aging. You know, to call this the anti-aging is against everything we believe in. <laughs> so, uh, midlife has
0: to. So that be... was a no then. That was <laughs> a them. no
1: because the whole the whole point of the book was to embrace midlife, and actually, the publisher we went with could see that straight away, and they said, "Yeah, that is the USP of the book." So we feel like we were a really early adopter of this term, midlife, and the the book was an absolute joy to write. It, we we did it in about six months, and it felt like. I don't know effortless in a way there's a lot of work that went into that book but when I talked to Mimi about it it was such a fun process we loved doing the research we loved developing the recipes we did it 50 50 she was actually in Brighton at the time I was in Bali and we were sort of doing it using you know Skype and Dropbox and all those kind of technologies that have become so familiar to us now but actually before the pandemic you know we weren't really doing that much remotely. And it was just an absolutely brilliant project from start to finish. And it was a Sunday Times bestseller. So I think that says that there was the market was ready for something like that. And that was really the start of it for me. And um, since then, I've done various nutrition courses and I've written another book called Midlife Method, which is more focused on weight loss in midlife, because what I found was that although Midlife Kitchen it was very much focused on optimum nutrition, I was having a lot of conversations with women who said they felt like they were really trying quite hard to eat healthily and eat well, but the weight was still accumulating and they couldn't really understand why and they didn't know what to do about it. And they didn't want mm-hmm. to resort to a you know, traditional diet. Um, they wanted more tools to be able to manage their weight long term. So that was the focus of the Midlife Method, which came out... Um, at the end of last year. And um, I since then also have just completed my uh, nutrition and culinary practice course at Leith's, um, which is more a kind of a chef based course where you look at nutritional theory and you, you put that into practice in the kitchen. So that's really the direction I am going in now. And mm-hmm. a bit of a scoop, I am working on a concept document for a new book on based on that kind of idea so I sort of feel like that's kind of been this the trajectory and what I found is that what people really 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 want you to give them a sort of simple practical ways to put all those nu- nutritional ideas into their daily diet you know it's, it's all well and good saying oh you need to eat 30 grams of fiber a day but what does that mean
0: how do you yeah. actually
1: do that you know it's it, we all know kind of what we should be doing but with the best will in the world we can't always quite
0: achieve that
1: on a day-to-day basis how do we get from a to
0: b a being kind of not optimal and b being yeah we're ticking all the boxes but it's not necessarily something that you can jump straight into especially you know if you are like many of us at this point in life you know juggling maybe a demanding job and kids and elderly parents or you know a whole host of different Demands, or yeah, or maybe your, you know, maybe your budget doesn't necessarily stretch to doing all of those optimal things, and maybe there's a sort of a process, like you say, to work through where you can can make those incremental changes gradually,
1: yeah, to get
0: you there, rather than feeling totally overwhelmed and oh gosh, I can't, you know, I, yeah. I can't possibly tick all those boxes straight away, so I'm not even going to try. So what are your thoughts in terms of how we can approach that and sort of set ourselves up Mm. for success?
1: I think that's a really good point that you make that you can feel overwhelmed by it all. And I I think there's a tendency to think, oh, I can't possibly do all of that. So I'm going to do none of it. I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and go, okay, well, I can't possibly eat 30 plant foods a day. I can't possibly eat 30 grams of fiber a day, whatever they're telling me to do. So I'm just going to ignore it and not do any of it and maybe pop a few supplements and hope for the best or or possibly <laughs> I don't know go on a bit you know try and be good for a couple of weeks and then after that be like Pull oh the I wagon. can't really be bothered with this anymore so I think yeah. I think we can all recognize those patterns and I think the main thing to realize is that that is a mindset that we all can get into and really the best way to figure all this out is to try and change that mindset but it doesn't have to be sort of flipping a switch you don't have to go from a to z really what it is is saying well doing a little bit consistently is better than doing a lot sporadically because that's when you get into that kind of all or nothing mindset so really it's to start with one maybe one good habit and just try and make that stick so for example it might be your meal planning okay this this Mm -hmm. is a big one for people you know that i feel honestly that the best thing you can do if you want to eat well is to is to plan your meals i think that if you do absolutely nothing else by planning your meals and doing a shop and organizing what you're going to be eating through the week that is the biggest benefit to healthy eating because you're not going to get caught short and you're not going to have you know you're not going to be in a position where you haven't got the things in the fridge that you need, which is when all, when when all of this falls apart it all falls apart when you've run out of time and you head into Tesco Express and you grab something from the chili cabinet that's when it that yeah that happens to all of us but yeah. if you plan your meals, the chances of that happening are going to be much much less. So I would say that is probably the biggest thing you favour you can do yourself. So interestingly, that's not about actually what you eat. I'm not saying, oh, the biggest thing you can do is eat more complex carbs. What I'm saying is the the best thing you can do is just try and be a bit more organised, particularly if you're time poor, because it pays such dividends through the week. So I absolutely i'm an absolute sort of stickler for this and on a sunday i will sit down and i mean obviously it can change but i try and make sure i know monday to thursday at least because the weekends can go a bit off piece so monday to thursday at least i know what we're having for dinner make sure i've made some kind of a soup that i can have for lunches and for breakfasts you know i pretty much always have eggs or porridge or yogurt berries granola so my breakfast i just know what i'm having so I'd say to me, you, if, you, if you can just take that away and just commit to doing that, I think that will pay the biggest dividends. But obviously, I mean, there are all sorts of other tweaks and hacks and things like that. I mean, I like to just make sure, actually, rather than thinking of cooking, I often think about assemblies, say, so what are things that I can put together on a plate that are going to be super healthy, that might not even involve any cooking? Because if if time is the enemy, which it does seem to be for most people, really, if you've got... A fridge and some cupboards with the right ingredients on them you can just put them on a plate and you're going to be ticking a lot of nutritional boxes so for example um i last night i did a i made a reel actually i've just posted a reel on my instagram which is what i had for dinner last night and it's it's just some lentils that i had in a tin and i just drained them and i mixed them with yogurt and curry powder i put it with a smoked mackerel fillet i had a hard-boiled egg and I had a little bit of avocado, a little bit of chopped tomato, a little bit of spring onion, and that was just all in a bowl. And there wasn't really any, apart from boiling the egg, there was no cooking involved <laughs> at all. But because I
0: had those ingredients to hand... Got those building blocks. I, I think, didn't... that's for me, that's where I fall down. We do meal plan our sort of evening meals, but lunches tend to mm. be a little bit more grab-and-go. So I think that's definitely yeah an area where a bit a bit more sort of... Forethought and, like you say, a bit more sort of strategic cupboard standby yeah. planning.
1: <laughs> yeah, I help. think if you just had, say, say you could just build up, I don't know, five. And actually, in the midlife method, I give quite a lot of breakfast assemblies and lunch assemblies because I think they're really useful for people. And you know, having the wherewithal to produce something like that is is just so brilliant. Rather than I don't know, just resorting to cheese and ham sandwich or, or whatever it is that you are going to have for lunch, which is you know probably not that balanced probably not giving you giving you everything (laughs) you need probably not going to sustain you but you know something like that dish that i described it took five minutes to put together and nutritionally is ticks absolutely every single box um and also it's not particularly high in calories you know if if you were worrying about weight if weight was one of your concerns that would also fit within good kind of weight management program so so i think if if you can think about healthy assemblies, that's another really useful way of viewing your food, rather than something. Sort of oh my god, I've actually got to cook this big thing. And actually, one of the, the 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 column that I write for the Telegraph at the moment is actually called Three Easy Ways." And the focus of that column is to take something like, I don't know, fibre, and say, well, what are three easy ways to get fibre into your diet? You know, what what are What what are the switches you could make? And I mean, the obvious ones are switching to wholemeal bread, switching to wholemeal pasta, things like that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, also people don't realize that there's a lot of fiber in things like berries. There's a lot of, you know, for example, if you're going to have potatoes, make sure you keep the skins on them, things like that. They're just little things to kind of get into the habit of doing. So if you're making, you know, if you're making potatoes, if you want to do some potato something with potatoes for dinner just cut them into wedges don't take the skin off a little bit of olive oil salt pepper shove them in the oven that's going to be far healthier than you know sort of getting some oven chips and putting them in the oven so it's and it's no it's really no harder so I just I I, you know one one of the things I think really my my niche now is moving into this kind of giving people those little ideas that they can incorporate really easily and all it all adds up it's a it's a cumulative thing like I said before rather than sort of seeing it as overwhelming just as all these little things that you can do that will add up to make quite a difference rather than having to completely overhaul what you eat um so yeah that's kind of the direction I'm going in and I hope that you know people want to um well hopefully they'll buy my new book which will be very much focused on this area, but i haven't written it yet <laughs> so you might have to wait a bit for that one But the midlife well, method yeah, come back and talk to
0: us when <laughs> yeah. <it's out.
1: laughs> yeah i've got to do a bit of work there first but the midlife method does have a lot of this sort of stuff in it, and the the premise of it really is trying to empower people to make the necessary changes and sometimes with the sort of the time poor thing, I think it's quite often again a mindset in that, you know, we are busy, we have got a lot going on, but we can still somehow find half an hour for Instagram. So it <laughs> yeah. it is a it is a priorities thing. Um, and if you can prioritize what you eat above maybe some other things, it only it doesn't take that much longer to prepare something to eat that's healthy than to prepare something that's unhealthy. And and you do have to do it, you do have to eat three times a day. So if you sort of say well given that I am going to have to do this it's much better to sort of maybe put an extra five ten minutes into really thinking about something healthy I can eat and not you know maybe not getting too trapped by the time poor narrative and making food your lowest priority I think I think I was definitely guilty of that and then suddenly when I kind of re-educated myself about it, I thought, well, it's not actually that hard to put a few healthy things in a bowl. It's, you know, it's really not that hard. (laughs) So I think it all comes back to mindset and maybe just trying to, yeah, trying to get away from negative thought patterns, recognize what they are, recognize what your weaknesses are. You know, for example, I really like pastry-based things and they're not the healthiest, but anything with pastry in it, I love. Mm. So I for sure wouldn't go into a bakery and put myself in that position having said that <laughs> you don't want to not eat the things that you love so for this time of year i'm i'm talking about mince pies we're talking about mince pies yep. here i'm not going <laughs> to i'm not going to put too much temptation in my way having said that you know i love mince pies and i will eat quite a few over the next month there's there's no question about that <laughs> but it's okay because i've rationalized it i you know i don't feel guilty about it and I will have a few. But I'm not going to go and buy a whole box. Of, I'm, I'm, I'm on my own at home at the moment because my husband's abroad and my son's at university, and my daughter's at school. So I'm on my own. There is no way I'm going to go and buy myself a box of six mince pies. <laughs> because you know what's going to happen. <laughs> I know what's going to happen. No, whereas if I go around to my friend's house and she's got some mince pies, I'll have one. So I think it's all those kind of things. Knowing knowing where your weaknesses are and maybe just having little strategies for them. I talk, I call them food strategies. So I know what my weaknesses are, wine, mince pies. I, I know, I know. So I just have to have strategies in place. So for example, with wine, I try not to have too much in actually in the house because I try not to drink too much in the week, but for the weekend, I might go out and buy a bottle of wine or two, but I don't want to have loads of it in the house because then it's like a constant temptation. And it's the same with the things that I particularly crave and love. I want to have them from time to time, but I don't want to have them on tap. So I think just being a bit honest with yourself <laughs> and also allowing yourself to have the things that you like, but not having them readily available all the time, because we're, we're only human. I mean, we're not designed to necessarily resist everything that's put in our path so I think that's too much to expect of yourself as well
0: you're saying that your your children are obviously a bit older now I think one of the other things that I struggle with and possibly some other people listening is you know ending up prepping two different meals because you know there's no way my kids are going to eat a lentil Mm -hmm. spinach salad (laughs) so any kind of good thoughts in terms of yeah, yeah maybe, one, maybe it? kind of introducing kids to the kinds of foods that that we want to be yeah. eating or well I totally hear you on that one because I mean
1: my son he's left home now but he he was a sort of a carb loving carnivore <laughs> and my daughter she's no longer vegetarian I have to say she, she started at boarding school this year and decided being a vegetarian at boarding school is just going to be too disgusting and uh <laughs> She said, I just know that they're not going to come up with nice vegetarian options. Mm. And I think she has been proof right. But she was for a long time a vegetarian for about five years. And she doesn't particularly like carbs. So I had very much that situation. So the the way I've always approached that is to just kind of deconstruct the meals a little bit. So I find the things that we do all like. So, for example, thankfully, we all like fish. Mm. My daughter was actually a pescatarian, not a vegetarian. I should I should uh, be more specific there. So she did eat fish. And um, so I would always base a meal around the one thing I know we would all eat, which would be a nice piece of fish. So let's call it salmon. And then I would do, for my daughter who didn't like saucy things, a plain piece of salmon. And for us, I would make a really nice, say, Asian sambal thing to put over the salmon. And then in terms of vegetables, I would pretty much always make an interesting salad because me and my husband like an interesting salad and that might have some lentils and some other things in it and for the kids I would simply just blanch you know lightly cook or steam the vegetables that I know that they like and we would put that with it you know and sometimes they would eat a bit of the salad like my, my daughter does like Greek salad so Greek salad she would eat a bit mm-hmm. of so I think how if you have that deconstructed idea about it try and make the basis of the meal something you're all going to like and maybe just think a little bit more creatively around the side dishes that you serve with that so for example if you really want to put a carb with it like my kids really didn't like brown rice but I wanted to include say brown rice with that meal because it's healthy so I would do half and half I would do half white and half brown rice and I would cook it and that was a compromise we could all live with so I think there are way, ways around it. I think cooking two completely separate meals is, was just never an option for me. I just did not have the time or the bandwidth to do that. But it does take a little bit of thinking about to cater for all those different tastes but yeah Mm -hmm. my advice would be the planning again (laughs) yeah it it does come down to the planning and it does come down to just being pragmatic and saying okay well let's find some common ground and I actually had a spreadsheet where I would have like a list for fish a list for chicken a list for beef a list for vegetarian and I would have write down all my ideas that had worked and you know what, what I'd done so I guess by by the time I'd finished I probably had about 40 or 50 things on there that I could just then do a plan that when I was doing my planning I could just look at the spreadsheet and go, okay well we haven't had you know we haven't had the chicken thai bake for ages okay we'll have that one and you know so I would I would say if you can get into that sort of planning uh, mentality and build up build up that repertoire so that you don't have to keep reinventing the wheel every time it comes round <laughs> to do your meal plans. Yeah.
0: No, I think that's definitely one of the traps that we fall in when we're planning is that we kind of we do stick to a very sort of limited
1: number yeah.
0: of, of dishes and so sometimes think...
1: you'll make something that really works and you're like oh that really worked everyone really loved that and then you sort of forget about it don't you and you haven't really made a record of it and then every Sunday when you're doing your plan you think oh god what are we can gonna have this week it's like you're starting from scratch and I think that's quite mm. off-putting for people so maybe that little tip will
0: help people get a bit more invested in the meal planning idea yeah I think and I think definitely getting a bit more sort of creative with salads because I think Generally, for me, salad has always been you know cucumber, which I'm not a huge fan of you know no, lettuce, I'm not a tomatoes.
1: Big fan. I'm not a big fan of cucumber. But, I, I think but there's so salad, many other things you can yeah, do. <laughs> I mean if you think of a salad as just being chopped up vegetables rather than leaves, tomato and cucumber, you know a salad is just chopped up vegetables. it can be literally anything you've got in your fridge. It can be carrots, it can be beetroot, it can be cabbage, anything you can shred up and put in the salad. So don't get sucked into the idea of salad leaves necessarily. And raw veg is, is the best way to eat it because it maintains all the nutrients. So eating it raw is by far the best. And always try and think of putting a grain in there. So you can buy these pouches of grains now, of lentils and all that. You know, mm. Putting a grain in there is a really good idea. Filling you up. Yeah, it fills you up and you get a bit more protein and what have you. So it's more balanced. I quite like putting fruit in salads. People don't often think of that. But if you've got a few blueberries, Mm. chuck that in, chuck some strawberries in. I think a bit of sweetness in the salad is a really good thing. Herbs, if you've got fresh herbs, if you grow them, or if you've got just a bag that you bought for something, chuck the fresh herbs in there. I think if you just have a slightly broader idea of what a salad is, they can be really interesting. And salad dressings, I mean, you know, you can anything in the salad dressing i love making different salad dressings asian ones i've got really nice creamy tahini one that i make i've got four or five that i make regularly and actually they're from the midlife kitchen the first book so um yeah salads you know salads can really add a massive layer of interest to a meal but also from a nutritional point of view you're eating far more plant foods if you mix it up that way and so from a nutritional box ticking perspective if you can get into that sort of chuck, chuck everything in a bowl salad mentality, then you're going to be um, improving your gut health um, by, by doing that.
0: Yeah. Well, that's definitely, definitely my takeaway is uh, is to kind of focus on salad creativity. I like that. Salad <laughs> creativity. That's actually quite a good name for a
1: book. <laughs> build
0: build you creative salad. <laughs>
1: Thanks. <laughs> I'll put that on the list. But I get the other one done first, then, then I'll do that one. <laughs>
0: Fantastic, Sam! Thanks so much. Lots of food for thought. And um, oh, nice pun! Yeah, uh... Excellent. <laughs> and um, yeah, your 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 books certainly on my uh, my list of ones to buy. Um, Christmas is coming. Christmas, Christmas is money. Coming. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I'm um, yeah. I'll uh, also pop a link to your Instagram page on the podcast page. i yes. we write up the notes. Thank thanks you very you so much. Good to talk to you you've been listening to the middling along podcast do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live and why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now